two of our series concerning the resurrection, and um, this morning is the evidence of the resurrection. We'll be in Matthew chapter 27 in a few minutes, and if you want to get your Bibles and go ahead and turn there, um, please feel free. I carry my Bible, um, but I've always... (laughs) It's all on my iPad. It makes it easier for me to locate. Plus, I can get it up in the size font that I need to see it. (laughs) Uh, One of the things that always troubles me uh, is there are so many, when you speak about the resurrection, there are so many intelligent people that deny the resurrection. Um, A lot of our young people that uh, young adults that go off to college come back and tell us, I'm pretty sure they just don't believe that where I went to school and I'm like, yeah, I know. How can you be so smart and so dumb? You know, I mean, to, to uh, just lack of knowledge. And yet there's so many great messages. If, if you, you know, you look um, about the topic of the resurrection and go even on our sermon audio, uh, I went the other day just looking at the amount of, individuals from Dr. David Jeremiah to, to Spurgeon um, to Dr. Stanley and, and you can just YouTube and Google and go on and on and on. And, and yet people still don't believe the resurrection. Um, and I, I read a story the, this past week and I, I just I have to relay it and it's really the basis of the message this morning. There's a uh, I want to say it was in 1841. Um, I, I don't remember the date, but I know it was sometime in the mid mid 1800s. There is a a professor of law at the Harvard Law School. His name was Simon Greenleaf, and he had wrote a book that was the the standard for many years in all courts of law. Um, titled Rules of Evidence, and it's how lawyers judged whether evidence was reliable or not. And it it stated in in this story that the gentleman was an atheist, and he, in fact, hated Christians. You know, he he mocked them in his classes, and and, and just it it went into deep, you know, a, a whole lot of, discussion about how he mistreated Christian, young Christians in his class that were studying to be law students. And he ha- one day he had a student that asked him to use his own rules of evidence to take the basis of his rules of evidence and to study the resurrection. And the, you know, the, the just... Come back and based on the evidence, you come back with a study that denies the resurrection. The the student asked him. And it told who the student was. I I can't remember his name. It wasn't anybody that, that, you know, prominent that we would remember. But he took the challenge. Mr. Greenfield took, or Greenleaf took the challenge. And then he wrote another book titled The Testimony of the Evangelist. And it, it gives 
based on the rules of evidence, he gives conclusive evidence of a resurrected Savior. And I thought, wow, you know, to, 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 to see that, it, it, it's just amazing. I remember in, uh, what was it, 2013, um, if I could travel back, I think, in time and go back into Jesus' day, what event is it in Jesus' life that, you know, I would choose to attend? And I remember a setting, um, you know, there in front of what they say is the empty tomb of Christ and how it had a channel in front of it and a stone uh, that thick and, you know, six, eight feet tall and round had been chiseled out and they roll it back and forth in front of the grave and just the feeling that you have sitting there and then getting to go inside uh, the empty tomb. And, and if I could go back, I think that's what I would want to go back and see is, you know, the resurrection. Some, you know, maybe for you it would be the miracle of the feeding of the 5,000 or um, walking on water. Now that would be unique. I, I could, you know, I could, I, I'd enjoy that. But Or the mania, I... I I think the maniac of Gadara, though, is probably the most heart-wrenching story in the entire Bible. Here's a guy that is bound by chains and he's crazy in a cemetery. Christ goes to him. I can go and observe that. Um, but I think I would prefer to have a front row seat that Sunday morning when Mary Magdalene come to the tomb and then Peter and John arrive and get to just witness the resurrection because that event in history impacted mankind more than any other event in the entire world. The evidentiary procedure that Mr. Greenleaf went through, the testimony of the witnesses, the received documentation that we carry with us, the proper custody of exchange of that documentation. You think about it. It is the resurrection that we solely base our salvation on the credibility of that event. Does the rules of evidence lead us to believe it is a credible event and substantiate our belief? I just, it's, it's amazing when you take someone that trying to disprove and comes to put their faith and trust in Christ because the evidence proves otherwise. Wow. I want to look this morning at some of this evidence that, of which we believe. And the first, the soldiers that were placed not for Jesus' protection, but for substantiation that the Jews claims of his 
rising again in three days were false. They placed a guard. And let's read that account in Matthew chapter 27. There's three verses that give that testimony. On the next day, which followed the day of preparation, the chief priests and the Pharisees gathered together to Pilate, saying, Sir, we remember while he, speaking of Jesus, was still alive, how that deceiver said, After three days I will rise. Therefore command the tomb be made secure until the third day, lest his disciples come by night and steal him away and say to the people he has risen from the dead. So the last deception will be worse than the first. And Pilate said to them, You have a guard. Go your way. Make it as secure as you know how. So they went and made the tomb secure, sealing the stone and setting the guard. I want you to notice that he says a guard. We're not talking about a single guard. A guard that it describes is 16 soldiers, and they changed, much similar to what we do at the Tomb of the Unknown, they changed four by four every four hours. And so that this, this guard that, that Pilate gave him. And then in Matthew 28, verse 11, after Jesus um, has, has risen, it says, now they, speaking of the guard, they were going back, and some of the guard came into the city and reported to the chief priest all the things that had happened. And when they had assembled with the elders and consulted together, they gave a large sum of money to the soldiers, saying, Tell them his disciples came at night and stole him away while we slept. When you look at the evidence, the fact that all these guards were sleeping is what they, the, the, the story that they had them tell. And to think of that in reality, that a bunch of ragtag fishermen and such, you know, even the ladies that were there, could, they, they couldn't stop the crucifixion, but they could overtake a guard that slept while they removed the body. They removed the seal, which is described in many different ways, but something that was placed over the stone and stamped on the sides into the stone. And they did all of that, which the, removing the, the seal by itself would have been punishable to, by death that had been placed there you know, at, at the, the government leader's um, bequest. Uh, the stone being moved, and, and that stone, some say, I, I'd, I'd be afraid to guess what we looked at, but some say it weighed between two and 4,000 pounds. And it was moved by two women and two disciples because that's the witness that we have that showed up that morning. And without waking the soldiers, uh, it's preposterous when you look at the evidence of what, it, it, that, that they still speak to this day. If, if you was to speak to, to the, the Jews in Israel, 
as to what they described, that he was stolen while the soldiers slept. And it, it's just absurd. It, it's absurd what, what they expect us to believe. And the shroud w- within itself, you know, the, the being mummy-wrapped, they're going to do all that while the guard sleeps. And, and how ridiculous when you look at the evidence that, that proves a risen Savior. The one that really, you know, comes to me and, and comes to mind that, that you find somewhat preposterous is Mary Magdalene. And John recorded the account of Mary Magdalene as the first to see Jesus and to observe the empty tomb. Now, keep in mind the way women were thought about in that day. You know, there wasn't much, um, I don't, you know, I don't, I'm, not, I'm not trying to belittle, but they didn't think much about the testimony of women in that time. And I could believe easier if it had been John, at, you know, that recorded. He was the only, because John was the only one, if you remember, that stayed for the crucifixion um, or was present at the crucifixion. But Mary Magdalene, a woman being, being the witness that morning, and even worse, if you go look at Mary Magdalene's life, she was a prostitute. Um, if I wanted a reliable witness in court, <laughs> think of that. Would, would you choose a, a known prostitute, a woman of the street, uh, especially that day, and to witness the resurrected Savior of the world? <laughs> I, I'm like Randy Moss. Come on, man. Surely, you know, we could think of something, you know, with, with more more merit or more credit yet she is the one that that races back to tell Peter and John that Easter morning um, the first one to actually talk to the risen Savior and if I was wanting to substantiate an an event it it would not have been a prostitute Um, uh, who in their right mind would make up a tale where a woman of the streets, one that is frowned upon, uh, a prostitute to be the first witness of the risen Savior. Uh, No one in first century Palestine would write something, you know, like that unless it really or actually happened. I I mean, you just think about it. how, How... unbelievable the events that that transpired that they expect people to believe as to why it didn't happen. The third is the multitude of witnesses. Um, It says, then in the days that followed, in 1 Corinthians 15, we read the passage um, last week, verses 5, 6, and 7, and that he was seen by Cephas, then by the twelve. And after that he was seen by over 500 brethren at once, of whom the greater part remained present. In other words, when Paul was writing this years later, or Luke was writing it in, at, at, Paul, at Paul's bequest, I, I believe, maybe Paul, but when he was writing this, 
the greater part of those people were still alive that could say, I saw him. Some have fallen asleep, he says, and after that he was seen by James and then by all the apostles. And last of all, he was seen by me also as by one born out of due time. I mean, you just look at the amount of people that evidenced, you know, that, that witnessed and the evidence that it, it is there. And Peter, the ten disciples, then the disciple plus Thomas, who was the doubter, who witnessed the, the scarred hands in, himself and, and the, the piercing of his side. We look at the two men on the road to Emmaus um, who meets, you know, man, I got a message there. He comes and meets us where we are. But he he goes to those two men and and then they have an aha moment after they have dinner with him. You know, wow, that was the risen Savior. It's just amazing what all transpired. Then Paul says 500 seen him. And then Paul himself, alive, on the road to Damascus. Is it not consoling to us that, that Christ comes back to the disciples when Thomas is present? So that the doubter, the other disciples, you know, the, the, the witness, the testimony, could see and touch and even eat with him? I, I just... It's, it's unbelievable the, the, the events that John recorded. And, and it's, 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 it's unbelievable that folks can't see a written re- record of what transpired and then doubt the resurrection. Four gospels, four different men giving four different accounts. And all the people that, had, that, that were there Five, Paul even gives an account of his, hundreds upon hundreds of witnesses. Greenleaf stated in his book, if they had each been brought into a court of law and just been given five minutes, five minutes, there would have been over 50 to 60 hours of reliable, accumulated testimony of individuals that had saw a risen Savior. Wow, the evidence of a resurrected Jesus. You say, well, that's all good, and yeah, we believe. Why are you preaching to the choir? Well, it's the effects that it has on our lives is what makes a difference. It's the effects that it has on our past. The plan of redemption, the penalty of sin, the forgiveness of our past sins. That's what the resurrection does for those of us that believe and put our faith and trust in Christ. It's the effects it has on our present situation. It gives us the power, the comfort, the strength to live day-to-day life. I'll burn in the image of my mind the gentleman sitting playing on his piano in his house that was completely gone due to a tornado a few months back. The strength. And there's nothing else but the power 
of the resurrected Savior in your life, of the Holy Spirit that lives, makes you be able to endure something like that. The loss. We had Rick's mom's funeral yesterday. And, uh, you know, to explain to folks, it's only a resurrected Savior who lives in you can help you during those times and give you peace and comfort and rest. It's unbelievable how it affects our past. It affects our present. And we all realize it affects our future. It is the event in history that guarantees our future, our eternal home, our home in heaven. And, you know, it's nothing I've done. You say, yeah, but you're you're a preacher. You, you, You know, preachers don't get a freebie either. It's the resurrected power of a Savior and a belief in Him to any and all who will believe. Jesus is the first fruits of those who sleep to be raised. The dead in Christ shall rise. We need to realize that someday, at, you know, when, when the rapture takes place and Christ returns, He's not coming back and it's not His second coming. We're talking about the dead in Christ shall rise. Our bodies will rise and be reunited and we'll receive a new body likened to His own. Then we're going to go spend, in in my opinion, seven and a half years while pure hell rages on this earth and come back with Him at His second coming and He'll stand upon the Mount of Olives again and rule for a thousand years. When we look at those events and what it, how it affects our past, it affects our present, it affects our future, and it's nothing that I've done. Wow. When you think about the resurrection and all that it means and the little that we talk or say about it, How wonderful that one event changed mankind as part of God's plan. One of these sightings, one of these witnesses has always touched me more than any other. The account that it says he was seen by Cephas the account given in John 21 of that, of that sighting, Cephas being Peter. Peter, the backslidden one. Peter, the, the, the denier. Peter, the cock-crowing liar. The one who is by now influencing others to go back to their own trade. To go back to fishing. Peter just kind of says, forget it. Jesus is dead. This is all ridiculous. Let's go fishing. And the account that is given there in John 21. Oh, how this one visit by the resurrected Savior, this recommissioning, so to speak, of the backslidden preacher, I think shows the love of Jesus best. 
Yeah, I, I, I think the, the prostitute at the grave resonates volumes as to how Jesus forgives and allows, no matter what our past, to be a part of his story. But you think about it. To go find Peter first. To restore the denying disciple. To have this personal encounter. And then look at the events, and I don't have time, and you wouldn't want to stay here, but to look at the events of that meeting, of how he admonished him. And he said, Peter, lovest thou me? And Peter said, yes, Lord, I'm fond of you. And he asked him again, but lovest thou me? And Peter the second time says, yes, Lord, I'm fond of you. They're using two different words for love, agape and phileo, if you go to the original. Jesus says, do you love me? And Peter says, I'm fond of you. Jesus says, do you love me? Peter says, I'm fond of you. And finally, Peter, under conviction, Jesus says, lovest thou me? And Peter said, yes, Lord, I love you. And then the next words are, then feed my sheep. Go do what I've called you to do. Go be the witness. And I don't think it was a mistake. I think it was pre-planned from eternity past that Peter's the one that preaches on the day of Pentecost and thousands upon thousands are saved. Some estimate, we, we say 5,000 and then an additional three. There's scholars that say, if you think about it, those were the men. They had wives and children. There could have been as many as 25,000 people saved on the day of Pentecost. By the denying one. By the one that lied by the one that Jesus took a personal encounter and went and put him on the spot and says, do you love me? The evidence. Can you imagine how John, because John's the one that writes the account, and John, you find himself always saying, the disciple whom Jesus loved. Can you imagine how he felt whenever he is the one that writes the account and had to give the witness of Jesus going to Peter, seeking him out? Wow. He had to realize the love of Christ for the backslidden one. Man, if you're here this morning and you're cold and indifferent, realize he's not mad at you. He just misses you. There's an ideal account of him seeking Peter out that makes the difference to those that just become cold and indifferent when the coffee at home on Sunday morning tastes better 
feels better with the paper. Don't, don't very many people get the paper anymore. I'm living in the past, huh? <laughs> Telling my age. I remember when the paper was an event. The kids wanted the comic section, the adults, the dad wanted the sports section, and the mother wanted the ads. <laughs> When the paper, the TV, becomes more enticing on a Sunday morning with your feet up in a chair than church, and you get in that shape, realize he's not mad at you. He misses you. Telling him you're no longer a preacher. Or you're no longer a fisherman, you're a fisher of men. You're a preacher of the gospel, now go feed my sheep. The plan for Peter's life as it unfolded after that event, because of the power of the resurrection, changed history. Wow. How can one not see the love of God in the evidence of the resurrection? Don't you ever allow some silk panty-waisted preacher or some college professor make you doubt a resurrected Savior. Those kind of people that eat soggy cereal, I don't know what to think about them. No backbone. And stand up. Our country's in sad shape, and it starts in a classroom somewhere where kids are taught something contrary to what this Bible teaches. Parents not doing their job, having children prepared for that kind of foolishness. It takes a lot of sacrifice anymore. I had someone tell me the other day, I don't know what I'm going to do about my kids. I, I, I just can't, I, I don't know what they're facing in the public school system. You're going to find out that the milkshake might be worth sacrificing if you have to put them in a Christian school. I've never, I've, I've, I've never been a, a huge advocate of a Christian school, not, not, I'm just, I've always said, they, you know, they can make it in a public school system, but I, I don't know anymore. I'm changing because of what they face. We're blessed here with a lot of good Christian educators. But you get in some of the bigger cities and you would not believe what our kids are facing. And yet it's, it's coming. It's coming. The evidence of the risen Savior, the biblical account, the preserved documentation, the change, the 
of how that documentation has been preserved. Wow, if you're here this morning and you don't believe, please reconsider. From an unbiased heart, the evidence, and put your faith and trust in Christ because it does make a difference. It makes a difference. I could go on and on and on. Let's stand. Father God, I pray this morning that as we've looking into the past, the plan of salvation, the resurrected Savior, God, that it resonates in our heart, how it affects our lives. And if there's one here this morning that has doubted, that's okay, Thomas doubted too. I think I would have probably been a doubter. But the proof that we see from the scriptures, the reliability of the evidence, may it make a difference in our lives. May it make a difference as we teach it to our children and our children's children. May it make us understand that people are going to spend eternity in one of two places if they haven't put their faith in a resurrected Savior. And may we realize, me, we, me, may be the one standing in the gap. There's more to church than this service. It's the preparation for us to leave these four walls and go tell people about His resurrection. you're here this morning with heads bowed and eyes closed and you've never put your faith and trust in Christ maybe because you just doubted you'd say this morning preacher I'm not sure if I died I'd go to heaven I've never put my faith and trust I've never prayed and asked Jesus to forgive me of my sins I feel that need today. Would you pray for me? Would you lift your hand where I could see it so I could pray for you this morning? Anyone? God bless you. I see that hand. Anyone else? Say, pray for me, preacher. I'm not sure. I don't want you to leave here this morning unsure. Anyone else? Pray for me. Father God, I pray this morning for this individual that raised their hand and those that others that may be contemplating their need of a Savior. I pray, dear God, that before it's everlasting too late, that they'll come to the saving knowledge of Christ and respond to the Holy Spirit's tugging at their heart to make a decision to believe in you and trust in you. 
you that raised your hand, no one else is looking but me and you. Would you look at me eyeball to eyeball, just me and you? If you knew how, would you put your faith and trust in Christ right where you stand this morning? Is that something that you would consider? You would? My prayer doesn't save you, but if where you stand, you would repeat a prayer that I'll pray with you and ask Christ to forgive you of your sins, to come into your heart and save you, it would, it would be your prayer. Would you do that this morning with me? God bless you. Let's pray. Dear Lord Jesus, as best I know how, I put my faith and trust in the risen Savior. I ask you to forgive me of my sins and come into my heart today and save my soul and help me to live a life that's pleasing to you and a witness to the Christ that lives inside. In his name I pray. Amen. Did you pray that prayer, honey? God bless you. Hallelujah. There may be others here this morning that you need to trust Christ. You didn't pray that prayer, but you'd come to this altar and say, Hey, I need prayer too. Someone will pray with you. Or you may be a Christian here this morning that's cold and indifferent. Christ will encounter with you personally just like he did with Peter if you'll come. And kneel here, someone will pray with you also. We're going to sing in a minute. And if that's your desire, please respond according to what God's laid on your heart.